time of worship this morning, isn't it? Dear? Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me share with you just a, a couple of things of personal preference. Uh, there's a story. Chuck, thank you for singing the song this morning. Yeah, because I reached over and told John Eldon, if you can do it, he can do it. There's a story behind that. As you most know, my wife has been working on a doctorate of education. She has turned in her dissertation of some 170 pages and will be defending her dissertation next week. So one of the statements, we've all, the entire family, we're going out to Fort Worth for a graduation the first weekend of December, all 15 head of us on the airplane. Six grandchildren. Uh, eight and below, yes. Six grandchildren, eight and below. Only one of them is flown. We're flying out of Atlanta. Craziest airport in the world. So we're leaving, going out there. And one of the things we heard, uh, we were listening on some different YouTube videos one day, and we were just listening to different folks. We heard Ron Carter singing Midnight Cry. And Lynn said, John Eldon, that's what I want you to sing for me at my graduation. So he has now until December to get it down. Now, please forgive me what I'm about to say. He won't, but that's all right. He said he didn't have tight enough underwear. <laughs> Leave it alone, Chuck. Leave it alone. <laughs> oh, so. I didn't say that. And then a moment of weakness, Lynn's finishing up her dissertation, and she says, Freddie, you need to go back and work on your doctorate. I said, you're crazy. Then she found an online degree. That's been my holdup. I didn't want to go anywhere to do it, so I am now enrolled in a Ph.D. program at Columbia International University. I'm about neck deep in my first semester. Five books in seven weeks, two 15-page papers this semester, and I'm working on the first 15-pager, and so it's been good. It's been challenging. Uh, somebody asked me, why at your age are you going back to school? And I said, I had a moment of senior senility. But the reality of it is it's for discipline. When I am forced to study, I do my best study. Uh, you know, I can get slack like everyone else, and now I'm being forced to go and do some studying in depth that I would not do if I didn't have the accountability of it. So you pray for me, pray for Lynn this week, and she'll be defending uh, this week, first and next week, uh, and that's all she has, and she has completed her degree. So we're excited as family for this. 1891. Anyone know what 1891, what happened in 1891? That's exactly right. The establishment of Reedsville Baptist Church, 129 years in the making. 
Can you imagine what the folks who came together to form that church, Reesville Baptist Church, what their hope and expectation for the future, what their legacy they planned on leaving was for this community? Here we are today celebrating homecoming from a group of folks that heard God's call and came together and formed a corporate body to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're living in that legacy today. I want to speak to you this morning about leaving a legacy. What are we leaving for the next generation? What is Reesville Baptist Church leaving for the next generation? And folks, we live in a day and time. If we don't get serious about leaving a legacy for the next generation, there's not going to be a generation to leave it to. We look around our churches. Where are the Gen Zers? Where's the Gen Xers? I ran a survey recently, this like last couple of weeks, that said right now, 10% of school-aged children attend church. 10%. Where are our children? Where are our teenagers? Not their fault. It's ours. And we need to step up the plate and realize that if we're going to see this church grow, if we're going to see our community grow for the Lord, it's going to come with us falling in love anew and afresh with the Lord Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, this morning, leaving a legacy that's worth something involves living up to who we are in Christ. Following those who follow Christ and in in recognizing your enemies in the process. Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. And he was the, one of the wealthiest men of his day. And he woke up in 1888 and read his own obituary. Can you imagine that? Waking up, picking up the newspaper and reading your own obituary. You see, Alfred's brother had died, and a French reporter carelessly reported the death of the wrong brother. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'd been disturbed if I'd read my own obituary while I was still alive. But Alfred, but, the, but to Alfred, the shock was overwhelming because he got to see himself as the world saw him, the dynamite king. The weapon maker, the great industrialist who made an, an immense fortune from explosives. As he read that newspaper, he realized that this was how the general public saw him. Someone whose entire purpose in life was to bring about greater and greater destruction. Nobel was shocked and devastated, so he decided to do something about it. And he took to his real passion that very few people know about and that knew about, and that was to encourage people and encourage ideas that would benefit the human race. So he made a plan. He changed his will. He determined that his last will and testament would be the true expression of who he was. And as a result of that, the most valued of all prizes given to this day to individuals who promote peace is the Nobel Peace Prize. Few people today remember that Alfred Nobel 
was the inventor of dynamite. But every one of us familiar with his peace plans. He saw his legacy. He realized that it was not good, and he did something about it to change it. As Christians this morning, what are we aiming for? Do you have a goal for your life? What is the legacy you wanted to leave to the generations to come for your children, your grandchildren? What kind of legacy are you wanting to leave for them? I can't think of anything greater in my life than my grandchildren to say this, he loved Jesus Christ. So we come to the book of Philippians. In some of the previous verses in this book, the Apostle Paul expressed his passion to know Christ. And we see that in Paul's writings, to know Christ. He wanted an intimate relationship with his Savior, his Redeemer. His number one goal in life was to know Christ. Well, friends, that should be ours also. As Christians, our goal should be to know Jesus Christ, to be obedient to him, and to follow his will. But how do we go about knowing Christ? How do we go about following Christ? Well, I think Paul lays out some important principles for us in verses 16 through 19 of Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Picking up at verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose goal is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Let's pray together. Father, as we spend the next few moments together looking to your word, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. May we apply your words to us so that we leave this place freshly in love with you. To go out into the mission field that you've called us to to share the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ. May people not only see it in, in our lives, but hear it in our words. And, 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 and Lord, give us a heart for those that are apart from you. The legacy of this church was passed on for generations now. Lord, may we take up that mantle to love you and to know you and to make you known. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The practical pointers this morning, I think we can see at least three in this passage. The first one is this. Live up to who you are and what you have. Live up to who you are and what you have. Look at verse 16, the beginning of it. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Not what we're going to get, but what already have. At the moment you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, it's not something you're going to get in the future, it's right then. He is Lord of your life. And all the promises and the benefits that come along with that are guaranteed to us and bestowed upon us at that moment. We're adopted into the family of God. 
live up to who we are. So just who are we? Who are you? Who am I? What do we have? And let's take a look at that for a moment today. Number one, you're forgiven and forgotten. Your sins are forgiven and forgotten. Oh, I love that verse in the Bible. It says, my sins are as far as the east is from the west. Think about that for a moment. In a linear mind state, in, in the sense of a flat plane, your sins are exactly the east from the west. They're gone. You're forgiven. They're forgotten. Jesus Christ bore my sins on Calvary's cross. When he cried out, it is finished. Well, what was finished? Payment for my sins. It's done. Every time we recall up our sins, we call them back up, just like we're re-crucifying Jesus. He paid for them. Remember this? He paid for the sins you have committed, the sins you are committing, and the sins you will commit. Done. Now, does that give us a license to go out and sin? No, because that becomes part of who we are. That comes the life of sanctification, being set apart, made for holiness. To walk in glory, to bring honor to our Father. So we should have the heart not to sin. But First John tells us that he who says he is not does not sin is a liar. And that's written for believers, by the way. It's not written for the Their sins are forgiven and forgotten. Tory, Corey Tim Boone once said, it's like God takes your sins, dumps it in the deepest, deepest part of the ocean, and then hangs out a sign that says, no people allowed. Wow. Let me tell you what the number one excuse for people not sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other folks. I'm not living my life why I should to Christ. Folks, that's not God talking to us. That's Satan keeping us defeated. When you hear that, you're not good enough to tell people about Jesus. You thump them off your shoulder and go do it. We have got to get to the point when we realize that we're forgiven. And that's all that needs to be said. And have the desire to grow and walk. You know... There's something wonderful about this statement. So you see that I, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty of breaking God's laws. We all are. But we don't want justice. We want mercy. And that's what we get in the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's God's mercy, not God's justice. Judgment. Justice. And that is a very precious possession to have. Secondly, we get new birth. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given a new birth. Because of that new birth, you are now a part of God's family. The Bible tells us we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of God. 
Let that sink in for just a moment. The very one who spoke and creation came into the existence, we are his children. In my mind's eye, and I know we all have all kind of different ideas, but my greatest thing about knowing God as my father is those times when I just don't feel like it, I can run and climb up my daddy's lap and I can talk to him about anything. We're children of the king. We're not beggars on the street, homeless, without a future. We've been adopted by the king of the universe. We're royalty. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit guides and teaches us. The Holy Spirit in our life to guide us and to teach us. To have an abundant life, John 10 tells us. And the way that we can go about having an abundant life is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. He points us in the way that we should go. He comforts us. He confronts us. He encourages us. And at times he disciplines us. Thank goodness for God's discipline. Because we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, we are given insight into God's Word. The Bible teaches that those who do not know Christ are blind to the spiritualness of it. For a lost person, this is a book. To those that have the Holy Spirit living within them, it is the living, breathing Word of God. Listen, you don't have to go to all the self-help books all around. You got it right here. As long as you got the Holy Spirit in you to help you learn. This is a book for a non-believer. But for a believer, it's the very essence of who we are. We find truth here by going to the Word of God. And allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. Our eyes are opened by the Spirit of God. We can read and understand God's written word by His leadership. Fourthly, this morning, God's love is given to us. We have the love of God. Now, I'm not talking about that ooey-gooey type love we talk about. I love my truck. I love my dog. We're talking about God's love here. A love. Unconditional love. You think about it for just a moment. If God's love was human, there'd always be a condition on it. I'll love you as long as you love me. Folks, we didn't love God. We sinned against the holy God. And he still chose to love us. Love us so much that he provided a way of salvation through his son's own shed blood. That's how much God loves us this morning. And it's not God saying, okay, I'll give you the blood of Jesus as long as you love me first. We're incapable of that. He loved us first. Gave us a way of salvation. And then he loves us without condition. 
God didn't say to you, I'll give you salvation as long as you clean up your act. No, he says, you'll accept my forgiveness, accept my salvation, I'll help you clean up your act. We're incapable. I, I love when I talk to people. What church you go to? Well, I don't go to church. Why not? Well, I got some things in my life I got cleaned up before I can go to church. Let me tell you, you can't. Listen to me, church. Maybe we presented the image that people got to get to a certain status before they can come to church. And maybe that's on us. Maybe we need to love people where they're at and quit trying to be the junior Holy Spirit. Let God fix them, not us. Let the Holy Spirit work in people's lives, not us. The church is a hospital for hurting people. Not rest home for the saints. We need to love people the way God loves us, without condition. Now listen, there's some people hard to love. But we're supposed to. Another thing we can do this morning is we can stand on God's promises. Because of being followers of Jesus Christ, all the promises in the Bible from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, the promises are in God's word or for us this morning. I am going to spend eternity in heaven with my Savior. That is a promise I can count on. If I drop dead today, my next thing I see is going to be Jesus Christ. And there's no arrogancy in my voice when I say that at all. That's based on the promises of the Word of God. And I have every one of those promises. Number six, Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is our advocate. In other words, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, sitting at the throne of God, at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding on behalf of the saints. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus Christ is praying for you today. We have all the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, with Jesus praying for us, all the ability we need to go out and leave God's pleasing life. We just choose to do so. But not only that, when it comes our time to stand at judgment, and Satan called the accuser of the brethren in the Bible stands there and accuses us, Jesus, our defense attorney, will stand up and say, I've already paid for that one. Now think for just a moment. We have the son of the judge as our defense attorney. Amen. Number seven, we have spiritual weapons. The whole book of Ephesians talks about the spiritual weapons and how that we have conquered. We have the weapons that we need to go into battle against the enemy. And by the way, have you ever noticed in studying through those, when it talks about putting on the armor of God and uh, what the, the weapons are, not the weapons, what the uniform consists of, there's only one offensive weapon, the sword. 
the Word of God. That's all we need. We need the Word of God to go out and defend against spiritual attacks. And finally, number eight, I could go on and on about the things that we have in Jesus Christ, who we are in Christ, what we've been set aside for. But finally, just to, to put, put this, kind of wrap it into where we are this morning, we have been given a home in heaven. Our eternal destiny is certain. I love that verse where it talks about the streets are paved with gold. You know, our whole monetary system based on gold. That we value the most in our culture and society is gold. Guess what it is in heaven? Asphalt. Now that puts it in perspective that streets of gold. But you know, all those beautiful pictures we read about what heaven's going to be like is nothing compared to what it really is because we are... In our finite human minds, we can't describe it, the glory that it really is. What Paul says here is we should live up to what we have already attained. You already have heaven if you're a child of God this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this body is nothing but a tent. Now listen, Lynn and I spent last week down at Stephen C. Foster in the Okefenokee Swamp. We had a glorious week. He was almost eerie quiet down there. Steery quiet. And we sat around and walked and rode bicycles and just had a great week of recharging and renewing. And as beautiful as that is down there, it's nothing compared in my home. And there were people, we saw some weird stuff down there. Friday night, this young couple came in, a little tiny car. And we're thinking, all right, it's going to be tent camping. Nope. They whipped out an air mattress, blew it up, threw it on the ground, and slept on the air mattress that night. Now, y'all know how big the mosquitoes are in the Okefenokee? Then we saw another one that had this trailer. And it was like a yard trailer. Air mattress in it. No tent, nothing to cover them. And it rained that night, so I don't know what they did. But you see, that tent is not a permanent dwelling. We live over in Collins in a house. But even that's temporary dwelling. My home's in heaven. We got to live up to who we are. Are we leaving a legacy worth something? Reesville Baptist Church, are you leaving a legacy that will last for another 129 years? Is the Lord tarries? Second practical pointer this morning is this. Follow those who follow Christ. Follow those who follow Christ. Look at verse 17 again. It says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note to those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Here's the second pointer. 
follow those who follow Christ. Paul set himself up as an example for all the groups and individuals he taught and worked with to follow. He said the identical thing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, the question for me this morning is, and for all of us this morning, are we living a life following after Christ that we could say the thing, same thing, follow my example? If not, why not? Friends, you and I need to look to others who are sincerely following Jesus Christ and imitate their lives. You know what that big word is? Discipleship. Here's what we need. We need to be, have people that are investing in our lives, that are pouring into us. And then we need to take those that may be a step or two behind us in their walk with Christ and pour into their lives. These are two or three people you're investing your life into. You need to follow those who follow Christ. So what does that mean? What do we, how do we go about that? When a younger believer turns to an elder believer, now it's not necessarily chronological age. It has to do with our walk with Christ. But we need to turn to someone that's a more elder in their walk with Christ and learn from them. How do we do that? Intentionally spending time with someone you respect. Make time for it. Then look for opportunities to talk with someone who has more experience in the faith than you do. And ask questions. And after we do those three, Follow their example. You see, folks, Christianity is personal, but it's not private. Every individual must have a personal commitment to Christ, and no one can decide that for you. But after you make that decision, you can't go it alone. That's the reason we need the church. We need each other. We need each other to come together to help us grow in lordship, to be more like Christ. We need the help of God's people to grow in maturity, to be more like Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves discouraged. Things aren't going well. Life is beating at us up. And we need encouragement. We need other people to come alongside us and encourage us. Now, if you're a pastor, what you hope for is the church is not, all the church is not discouraged at the same time. Sometimes we find ourselves becoming complacent. And when that happens, we need someone to come alongside us and challenge us to grow. Sometimes we start to stray from the truth. We all have the tendency to trust our own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God's word. At times like this, we need people who care about us and our spiritual future to give us a warning or otherwise we'll head down the wrong path. And here's one we don't like. But sometimes we rebel and willingly do something we know that's wrong. 
that's directly against what our Lord Jesus told us to do. And at times like this, we need a strong rebuke. You may not realize it, but sometimes the most loving thing a person can do for us is get tough with us. It may save us from a lot of unnecessary pain. We need each other. I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes, but one of the things that breaks my heart from when I was a child, that when invitations were given in churches, people flocked to the, to the altars to pray. We don't see that so much now. Because I think one of the things that's happened is gossip goes out the door. Did you see old so-and-so? They went to the altar and prayed this morning. Well, that person may have just been praying for you being a gossip. You know, if church is not a safe place where we can come and have those folks that we can share our deepest, deepest, darkest secrets with, then what are we doing? It needs to be a safe place. We need to have two or three people we can share anything with and know those people will pray for us and with us. I can challenge you in passing on the legacy. Be that kind of church. And then finally, in Paul's warning here in chapter 3 this morning, we need to recognize your enemies. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. It says this, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their goal is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Recognize your enemies. Friends, understand this. As you seek to intentionally make your life count for the future, there will be those who will oppose you. You not only have to recognize this, but you also have to prepare for it. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says that the cross, the symbol of death, penalty, atonement, love, and forgiveness is going to be offensive to people. You don't believe that? Read our news now. Our culture around us would have nothing even more than to do away with Christianity. Stop where we could even gather for work. So it's not going to happen in the United States. Keep on a few more years and see. We're in a self-centered society. Our society is focused on what makes us happy right now. But that often goes in contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God says to serve others, to love others, to be about giving. Our society says, take all you can get, get all you can, be all you can be. We stand in opposition of our culture. But that's not anything new. The young church in Rome did. Christians were burned alive. Used as nightlights in the city of Rome for even being a Christian. They were labeled as being 
atheist because they went bow down to all the crazy gods in Rome. They were labeled as being cannibals because they ate of the body and the blood of their leader in the Lord's Supper. Persecution in the name of Christ has happened and it's coming even worse in this country. Do we have the answer? It's the gospel. Let's see America great again. Let's get on our knees, get on our faces before God and start crying out to God, then get up and go and do what he's asked us to do. But now, there's not only those that are the enemies of the name of Jesus Christ that are outside of the church. There are those parading around that are teaching false doctrines that are involved in it also that are enemies of the cross also. Some teach that Christ's sacrifice is not enough. That we must add to what he's done through additional rules and worship forms or traditions. Praise the Lord for doing Sunday school on Sunday night. Breaks the tradition. Then who says you got to have Sunday school at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Don't show it anywhere in my Bible. Now, one of the things I think that this pandemic has done for us, it's made us evaluate what we do. And maybe there are some, some traditions that we needed to evaluate. Others say that what's recorded in the Bible is only a symbol or a myth that's designed to lead us to live lives that are good and noble. They subtract from the truth that the gospel is the living, resurrecting person of Jesus Christ. Be careful. Others deny that a human being's personal sin separates him or her from the holy God. They deny God's justice. They, re they reflect on God's love, but not on God's justice. Just different sides of the same coin. Listen to me. Pick up social media and somebody dies they all got their angel wings there's people dying going to hell and if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life there's no automatic pass to get into heaven and by the way we don't get angel wings we're saints we don't become angels when we die we're higher than the angels we're children of God not servants of God. The angels are servants of God. We're children of God. And there are others that say Jesus didn't exist. He was a myth. That perverts the gospel. They're the enemies of the cross. They're the enemies of ours because we're Christians. Paul says that these people who pervert the gospel, he uses some interesting things. He says their destiny is their destruction or is destruction. That means they're not really Christians at all. If you got any other gospel this morning than Jesus Christ, substitutionary atoning blood for your payment of the penalty of your sin or anything besides that, then it is not real. 
religious people go to church. Remember, it's the religious people that crucified Jesus. But being religious and going to church doesn't make someone a Christian. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, it says their God is their stomach. In other words, the Greek word translated their stomach is about the middle of the person, their appetite. And he goes on to say that their glory is in their shame. Folks, can you imagine some of the things we talk about now being talked about 30 years ago? Why does it surprise us? Paul's telling us here that the those that are opposed to Christ, those that are enemies of Jesus Christ, their glory is their shame. Then as if to sum it all up, he says this, their minds are on earthly things. But turn with me now to Philippians 3, verse 10. As we conclude. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. My citizenship is in heaven. How about you? I pray that we all in the, the, the depths of our heart this morning know with all certainty that we're citizens of heaven. If not, in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. You say, what in the world is an invitation for? It's a time for people to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Does it have to happen at the end of a worship service? No, it can happen anytime, but there's an opportunity this morning. If Jesus is pressing on your heart that you don't have a relationship with him, I invite you to come See your pastor this morning, come see Brother Chuck and tell him, I need to know how to be a citizen of heaven. And brothers and sisters, if we've been living for the world rather than living for Christ, today may be the day that we need to recommit ourselves in passing the legacy to the next generation. If the Lord Jesus tarries, I pray this church will be the lighthouse of this community for another 129 years. And then as people are standing here in 129 years, they can sit back and think of 2020 and thank the people that were here for passing the legacy. Listen to the Spirit this morning. There may be things we need to make public. There are marks on the floor by X's here if you need to come to this altar and pray. You say, well, Brother Freddie, I can sit right there in my pew and pray. Yes, you sure can. But folks, there's something very symbolic when we come to an altar and bend before holy God. It's surrender. You may need to come and pray for a lost loved one. You may have a neighbor that's putting up and you may need to lift that person to the Lord. You may have a sin. You need to lay at this altar this morning.
God, thank you this morning that we can know with all certainty that we are citizens of glory, citizens of heaven. Lord, if there would be one here this morning that know that with all certainty, that if they died today, they'd spend eternity in heaven with you, I pray this morning they would come and speak to Brother Chuck and make that that step to know you. And Lord, I pray for us as your children that we would serve you with all that we have to pass a legacy on for years to come. Of course, in Christ Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.